UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. God, I don't see your... Right now, I am. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I'm really fascinated to have my guest on today. He's become highly, highly recommended from Cheryl, uh, from Cheryl Bailey from uh, Front Row Seat, and she's from the Archaics, and then also Chad from Open Your Reality um, recommended Tom Campbell. Um, Tom is a former NASA physicist and large systems analyst turned consciousness researcher. Next to this, his technology-centric career, he joined a team of uh, volunteering research subjects around Robert Monroe, where they voluntarily induced and systematically investigated phenomena of paranormal nature, like out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, telepathy, to name the most prominent. In his trilogy, My Big Toe, TOE meaning the theory of everything, he describes the nature of our larger reality, provides a complete theory of consciousness, and explains our purpose and connection to our larger reality. Along the way, Mr. Campbell derives a fundamental science that directly answers the most pressing problems and paradoxes of modern physics. And, uh, and I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Tom, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm just fine, Robert. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, when, did you, uh, when did you first start questioning your reality that you thought that maybe something was not right or not that something wasn't right, that, that maybe that we were living in a simulation or, or um, how do I want to put this? Was it when you met Mr. Monroe and Robert Monroe that kind of initially started it or? No, that wasn't it. it I was in uh, graduate school working on my PhD and I saw a sign that said, uh, learn how to meditate, TM, Transcendental Meditation. And it uh, had a whole list of benefits, one of which was be aware and get along with less sleep. And as a graduate student, I was working in a, with a big Van de Graaff uh, particle accelerator. And when that monitor worked, you took data, which means you might have to be taking data a couple days in a row without sleep. So I was looking for something that would keep me uh, kind of awake and energized and, and you know, being able to, to process effectively with less sleep. So I paid $20 and a banana and went to the uh, induction ceremony and learned how to meditate. And it was a very simple thing for me to do. I, I caught on to it very quickly. And about, I don't know, three months later or so, after I'd been meditating for about three months, I just out of uh, just playing, just out of chance, I decided I would try to look at my uh, at my card deck. Those were in the old days when uh, input to computers was punch cards, and I would look at my card deck and see if I could see what was 
wrong, what cards had errors on them that would uh, cause them cause the uh, the deck not to run the program. And to my surprise, I saw them. They stood out red against the others that were black as I scrolled through my program. Now it was easy for me to sc- <coughs> excuse me scroll through the program because of course I I not only wrote all the code but I punched all the cards as well. That's the way it is when you're a grad student. You do it all. <coughs> and so when I went up to check, indeed I found that every one that I saw with the red mark did have an error on it. And sometimes the error was not something that I could have possibly known. Like the error could have been that the punch hole was a little bit off center. Because after a, after a bit, the, the, the machines that punched holes in the cards would need to be reset. They were just big mechanical machines. And like any mechanical thing, you know, they wear and they, they change a little bit and they need to be recalibrated. So that's no way <coughs> that I could have even, you know, subjectively or in my deep subconscious been aware of a mistake that I had made, because that really wasn't a mistake I made. I punched the key perfectly. It's that the punch didn't punch well. So at that time, that was the first time that I really questioned reality. Because here I was a physicist, pretty much like all physicists, having a, a sense of reality that if you can't measure it, it's either not real or it's not significant. Now, by measure it, I mean work with it, interact with it, you know, connect with it in some physical way. So anything that, uh, that uh, you couldn't do an operation on, is how it's actually stated, uh, then isn't real or it's irrelevant. And that's called an operational definition of reality. It just means physical things are real, anything else isn't. So that showed me that that wasn't true, that that uh, belief was wrong, and that there was another whole part of reality that had to do with consciousness that was, you know, available for me to explore. So as a physicist, I wanted to model reality. That's what physics is. It's, it's you know, try to model and understand how reality works. So I began taking my meditation even more seriously at that point. And a couple of, I don't know, a year or two later, I had a chance to meet Bob Monroe. So it was a couple of years before I met Bob. And of course, when I met Bob, the the arrangement was I would be a free scientist for working in his lab, and he would teach me how to go out of body and what that was all about, because I knew that if it wasn't my experience, it wouldn't be my truth. You know, you can study somebody else like Bob, but if you don't experience it yourself, then you really don't understand it. So we agreed. And for the next best part of 10 years, uh, I spent a lot of time with Bob Monroe, 15, 20 hours a week. Myself and a friend of mine who was an electrical engineer also started working with Bob at the same time. So that's really my connection with Bob. Now, at that time, there was no Monroe Institute, that was just a, a glimmer in the eye of Bob that, that actually took place a couple of years later after Dennis and I started working there. 
uh, we had such a big success with the technology we had developed that uh, he saw it as a program. People would come. And then the, the concept for Monroe Institute bubbled up after that. So this was in the early 70s, 1970 through mostly through 75 uh, that uh, this was taking place. And my, my job, I guess, on the team was to try to figure out the theory. How does it work? Why does it work? What's going on? It, it obviously had logical processes. It wasn't random. If you did certain things, you'd get certain results most of the time, but sometimes you didn't. So it didn't seem to always be repeatable and it didn't seem always precise. You'd have good days and bad days. But of course, I knew that was logical too. There was some reasons for those good days and bad days, variables that uh, had to be sought out and, and controlled. So I spent the next 35 years or so exploring these paranormal things, exploring consciousness, change a variable, see how that affects the result, change it a little more, see how it affects the result, change a different variable, see how that fixes the result. So whenever you change one variable, you have to hold the rest of them constant. So I had to be able to get into that out-of-body state and on, on demand whenever I wanted to, and to hold that state precisely still and to be able to go back into that state the next day exactly precisely the same way. That way I didn't have any change of variables that I was adding to the mix. So I just learned to, to do this and do this precisely. And 35 years worth of trial and error trying to figure out how things worked, I thought I had an idea about the nature of consciousness. So I, I wrote these books, The My Big Toe, to uh, actually be a, a theory of consciousness. But I knew, and I, I said in the books that, you know, consciousness is fundamental. That was one of the facts I learned when I was doing my research. And if consciousness is fundamental, then you should be able to derive physics from consciousness. But I really didn't know how to do that. I just knew that that kind of was logical. You know, if it's fundamental, then, then physics is less fundamental than consciousness. So about two years after I'd published the books, the aha moment came to me that I realized I could derive quantum physics from the principles of consciousness. And then once that kind of broke the dam, it was only a few days before I could also derive relativity from the concepts and, and principles of consciousness. And then I started looking for everything in physics that was a paradox. These are things that are known to be true because experiments say they're true, but physicists don't have any idea why they're true or why they act that way. They're called paradoxes. And I was able to solve all those paradoxes very simply and logically uh, with the same principles of consciousness. So now I was able to derive physics. So my physics is a more general, a more advanced physics than the physics that is you know, contemporary right now. Um, also, it produced the same model produced an objective model of the subjective. So a scientific model of the subjective world. Now, we've never had that before. We've had a subjective world, but it hasn't had a how does it work and why does it work that way kind of model behind it. And it, it does now.
So if you want to understand that subjective part of your life, the part of the life that is internal, that's mind and thought, um, and, and why it is the way it is and how it works, then this model is an objective model of the subjective world. So that does everything. It's why it's a theory of everything. It's a theory of everything objective. It derives physics, drives a more advanced physics, and everything subjective. So uh, I guess we can talk about anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I kind of wanted to get into was your your um, your study of like kind of like well, first to get into was like your evidence of remote viewing and kind of remote viewing versus out of body experiences because. I, I've tried to go out of body more than a couple of times. I was using Dr. Robert Monroe's hemi-sync binaural beats. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I was able to get, I felt like I was able to get out of body kind of like once. And I, I've told this on my show before. I feel like there's a distinct difference between an out-of-body experience and a lucid dream. I feel like a, a lucid dream is a, where you're in a lucid dream and you can, can kind of control your environment, but an out-of-body experience, I feel like you almost pop out of body, but I don't know if there's a difference. Is it just a, a shift in consciousness? Is it, is, is, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what do okay. you think? Well, the, the, the fundamentals of both are the same. There is some difference, but the difference is primarily due to the beliefs of the practitioner and to the fact that with the out of body, you never lose consciousness. You go from aware in this physical reality we call the physical universe, and then you just instantly, without any losing consciousness, you become aware in another reality that's different than this, this physical universe. So that's an out of body. There's no, there's no loss of awareness. The, the remote, I mean, the uh, lucid dream, that you first you lose consciousness, you fall asleep, and then you wake up within a dream. And now that dream becomes lucid because now you have your, your intellect running the show uh, from the dream state. But as far as what you can do then afterwards, it really doesn't matter. You can do all the same things in one that you can do in the other. But most lucid dreamers aren't aware of that fact. Mostly they think that they are free to roam around in a dream world, but not necessarily free to go anywhere they want, do anything they want within consciousness. They feel like they woke up in a dream, then they're in dream reality, and they're limited to that reality frame. And that's just not true. But if you believe that, then that belief becomes a a jail that belief becomes a limiter as to what you can do. So basically, they're not much different other than the way you get to them. One of them is a little more general than the other in as much as you never lose consciousness, you just transition from one to the other. And basically, what you've done is you just shift your awareness from one stream of data defining the physical universe to a different stream of data defining some other universe, some other reality frame. And there's lots of different virtual realities, special purpose virtual realities and more general virtual virtual realities. And some of them are like the earth frame. Some of them uh, feel physical. You know, they have a rule set. A virtual reality is just a system 
of, of rules that define basically what can happen within that reality. It's the parameters that define what can happen in the reality. So you go in a dream reality and that rule set is pretty loose. In dreams, you can fly, you can teleport, you can disappear, you can do, you know, and reappear. You can do all sorts of things in a dream that you couldn't do here. In this, thing, this virtual reality that we call the physical universe, it's got a very tight rule set. The rule set's called physics, it's called science. And that's what scientists do. They try to dig out the rules of the virtual reality. So, and those, those rules describe every energy exchange between any two interactive things. So everything now is defined by the rules right down to the, to the smallest nit. And what that means is that there's, there is a connection, there's consequence between all the things that you do. Everything you do when you're with other people affects them, what they do affects you what you do affects them and then how they react to that affects others and then those others how they react to that affects others and it just uh, kind of translates out into the world of the people that we that we know so in other virtual realities it's not that way you're more of a individual more of a single player game in most of them now that doesn't mean that you don't meet other entities single player games, you meet lots of entities, but most of them are NPCs, non-player characters. In other words, characters that the, that the consciousness system is choosing to create for you to interact with, as opposed to systems that are like you, you know, players of the virtual reality. And I just, and I say it tends to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You can, you can interact with others who are, who are like you, who are, uh, you know, players in a virtual reality game. They're not all NPCs, but mostly they are in our in our dreams and in our out-of-bodies. So anyway, that's kind of how that all works together. So our reality here that we call the, the physical universe is a virtual reality. And we are not bodies. We are pieces of consciousness that are playing these bodies as avatars. So what we do is we make all the choices for the avatar. An avatar that doesn't have a player just sits there and doesn't do anything, you know, because the, it's the player that has the mind, has the consciousness that tells that avatar what to do and when to do it and how to do it and when to do it. So that's what we do. We're consciousness. Now, we think we are the body because we were a piece of consciousness that kind of logged on to this avatar without any intellectual information. We left all that intellectual information go. When we log on, we log on just with the quality of consciousness we've earned up to that time. And then you have to start from the beginning to relearn everything, you know, what's, what's outside, what's inside, you know, this is an apple, this is mom, this is dad, this is the house I live in. You have to learn all that stuff from the beginning. And what's key here in this reality is the choices you make. You make choices and by the quality of those choices, you modify the quality of your consciousness. You make really good choices, then you evolve the quality of your consciousness, lower your entropy. You make poor choices and it's just the opposite. You de-evolve and you increase the entropy of your consciousness. You lower its quality. So we are 
pieces of consciousness in a big consciousness system I call the larger conscious system, and we are trying to evolve our consciousness to lower the entropy of the of the system. And we do that by playing in this virtual reality with a very tight rule set, because that tight rule set means everything we do has consequences. There's very little that we do that has no consequences, even if the consequences are just to ourselves. Everything we do has some sort of consequence. Whereas, and I shouldn't say not just a consequence, but a very meaningful, significant consequence. It's, it's uh, not a trivial consequence. If you didn't, if you were consciousness and didn't log into virtual reality, then you would be basically like in a big chat room. You could interact with other consciousness by communicating with them. But a big chat room doesn't have a lot of consequences. You can tell the truth or don't tell the truth. doesn't really matter. You can do what you want. Um, it has very few consequences. So you can't learn much. The choices you have are not choices that help you learn and grow. Choices that are ethical and moral and that affect other people. You just mostly affect yourself and even then not very much. So that's why the consciousness system had to create this virtual reality for us to play in because it gave us meaningful consequences that would help us evolve our quality of consciousness. And I guess I should also say then that it, when I say it made this virtuality, it did not program it. It started with a set of initial conditions and a rule set and then hit the run button and let it evolve. So it evolves from initial conditions and a rule set. And everybody's familiar with that idea called the Big Bang. Well, this is a big digital bang. That Big Bang took place in a computer and it computed. And all of the things that the physicists will tell you that the Big Bang did, that's what happened in this computer. Okay, and it evolved suns and planets and planet like ours and eventually living things in us. So we all evolved in it. And as as it evolved avatars that were challenging and interesting to consciousness, then pieces of consciousness would log on and start playing those avatars. So that's what we are. We're pieces of that consciousness. I call them individuated units of consciousness. And what we do is play these characters because they give us a lot of interesting ethical, moral, and significant choices that help us evolve our consciousness. And that's what consciousness does. That's the driving force is that consciousness needs to evolve, lower its entropy. If it continually raises its entropy, well, it dies, it goes away. It uh, no longer has any information. All the bits become random if it gets to maximum entropy. Entropy, I should say, is a, is a measure of disorder. So high entropy means high disorder, low entropy means low disorder or more order. Uh, another way of looking at is that's equivalent is that high entropy means an inability to do work to make things happen, to accomplish things, and low entropy gives you a higher ability to accomplish things and do work. And those two statements between the order and doing work are entirely equivalent statements. When you have high entropy, for instance, and all the bits in your system are random, you don't have the ability to do anything. <laughs> you know, you're just, that's it, you're there. Whereas if you 
order some of those bits, now you can do things with those bits. You can say, well, look, I can count the bits. I can learn math. You know, I can, I can, uh, I can do lots of things. I can make patterns and patterns of patterns and sequences of patterns of sequences of patterns. Uh, there's lots of things that I can do, and I can give those patterns uh, meaning. They can, they can be metaphors for things or symbols for things. So there's, there's a huge amount of things you can create if you order those bits, whereas if they're all random, you're, you're stuck. You're not even an information system anymore because there's no information system in random bits. So this larger consciousness system is, is not infinite. It didn't, you know, it wasn't always and will always be. It, it's not uh, perfect. It's not uh, always right. It doesn't always know what's going on. It has to focus its intent, you know, to get to get details just like we do. Although its capability is much greater than ours, we're just a subset of it, a piece of it. But basically, we have all the basic things that it has. We just have it in a small package, and it's in a bigger package. So we we grow and we evolve just as it does. So we're in this system, and. Uh, the system needs to evolve or die, so it wants to evolve. And when you have all of these pieces of consciousness together, they form a social system. And a social system lowers its entropy optimally by cooperation, by caring, by sharing. Social system, you know, lots of pieces, lots of individual units of consciousness. If they all share and work together, they can do more within that virtual reality, within the context of the rules of that virtual reality. Whereas if they don't share, if it's all about me and my stuff and I don't trust you, you don't trust me, then it's hard for us to get much done. It's hard to, you know, you have high entropy, you have a lot of dysfunction in that society. So that boils down to the, to the, the idea that the point of the system is to lower its entropy, which means caring, sharing, cooperating. So the point is becoming love. I just put that all under the love topic. And the, the opposite of that is fear, being fear-based, self-centered. Uh, it's all about you. So that's kind of the, you know, I'm just trying to give you a real quick thumbnail, you know, all your listeners, a real quick thumbnail picture of where this goes. So in my world, Reality is virtual. The virtual reality was evolved. It was evolved for a purpose to give consciousness a place to, to more efficiently and effectively evolve. And that the point of it is becoming love, that we learn to care and share and cooperate with each other. That's, so that's a, I've covered a lot of ground yeah. and I've, I've, I've left a hundred things out and it may sound like I've left out a whole lot of stuff, and I have, but to go over all the details, we'd have to do this for about six or seven hours, and that's you know, not I, our plan. I have some really interesting, an interesting question to ask you. I, I don't know if anybody's yeah. ever asked you this, because I know you get pretty deep in some of your discussions. I've listened to the past podcasts you did, and I kind of want to make it a little bit fun, like in, in a way, and with this next question. like What, what I'm talking about is like, you know, I deal with a lot with the paranormal, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, and 
I happen to believe that people are really seeing entities. They're, they're having encounters with maybe ghosts or what they would think of as aliens. We don't know what they are, though. They, I don't know mm-hmm. if they come from another dimension. This is what I want to ask you about. Then people see Bigfoot. I heard a story one time about a guy who had a Bigfoot encounter back in the 70s. This made me think more about being in a simulation. The, and uh, the, a researcher, Stan Gordon, said this, and he said the guy shot a tracer bullet into the Bigfoot, and the Bigfoot just kind of put its hand up and just disappeared. And it had green eye, and it just blanked out. Like, it it would it ceases to exist. At the same time, there was a UFO above it, and it just blanked out. Like, it, it was in the reality, and then it just left our reality. So what I was going to say is when you, and when you, while you were talking, you were saying that maybe some of these entities could be NPCs. I fully believe that there are NPCs in our world too, but what do you think these entities are? Like, I mean, I know that each of them ha- might have their own separate topic, but do you think this is something that the consciousness has put into the program to interact with us somehow or raise our consciousness? Or like, what do you think about the paranormal stuff? Yeah. Or do you, I mean, yeah. do you have an opinion? Well, sure. If, if you look at, at uh, this being a virtual reality, then you realize that we're pieces of consciousness getting a data stream. Okay? That's how virtual realities work. Just like if you play a virtual reality on your computer, you play World of Warcraft or No Man's Sky or something like that, uh, you get a data stream from the computer. Now, all virtual realities work that way. You look at that data and you interpret it to be that virtual reality. Okay, so your data that you get from the from the computer is a bunch of uh, pixels on a screen, and those pixels have position, they have color, and they have intensity. It's just three parameters, and by looking at a million pixels or so, you say, "Oh, there's rocks, and there's rivers, and there's a person, and there's there's my elf, and uh, you know, there's this and that, and there's my quest, and there's the monster, and here's my sword." And you see all those things, and you interpret all those things just by looking at a bunch of little dots of light. Okay, those dots of light aren't swords. Those dots of lights aren't rocks and rivers and people. They're just dots of light. But you interpret that data to be that virtual reality. All right. Now, for us, it works exactly the same way. We're pieces of consciousness. A part of that larger consciousness system can configure itself as a computer and the server of this game, it sends us as individuated units of consciousness, which is another part of the system, it sends us a data stream. And we look at that data stream and we say, ah, yes, this is the earth. And uh, you know, my name is Robert and I live here and I've got this job and I've got a wife, I've got kids, you know, this is what I do with my life. I make podcasts and you know, you have all those things, but all you're getting is a bunch of data and you're looking at that data and you're interpreting it to be this. So remember the little boy in the matrix that held up the spoon and said, the secret is there is no spoon. Yeah. That's, that's the secret. That's the, that's the idea. There is no reality. Virtual realities only exist in the minds of the players. Okay. So when you're having a virtual reality, when you're playing in the world, you know, the world of Warcraft, that only exists in the minds of the players. If there are no players, what's the World of Warcraft doing? Nothing. What's the server serving? Nothing. It's only in the minds of the players, you see. There is no actual virtual reality. So once you say this is a virtual reality, that means 
none of what we think exists exists. We're just pieces of consciousness receiving a data stream and then how we interpret that data, which is not necessarily what the data actually is, but just how we interpret that data is our reality. That's what we see. Those are rivers and rocks and houses and children, and that's, that's the way we see it. So now, how hard would it be for the larger conscious system to put a Bigfoot in your data stream? Well, trivial. You know, I, I have a, a son who uh, now is in his early 50s, but uh, he was playing, um, oh, it was a, a Microsoft game, I think Age of Empires. And there was a cheat in Age of Empires where if he put the cheat in, he could manifest a Mercedes-Benz with a rocket launcher in the back that launched nuclear nuclear missile. So <laughs> it, he could obviously win the game because he could nuke all the other players in the game, you see. And that was a cheat because when the programmers programmed that in, they were just having fun. You know, they were playing games, so they put this cheat in. Then you put in the cheat and poof, you're sitting at the behind the wheel of a Mercedes-Benz. It's a convertible and the top's down. And you get this little screen on and you can move your screen around to put crosshairs on any place on the map in that game. And then you punch the red button and a rocket goes off and everything in that part of the map is obliterated. So that's just what they put in there. You know, they put, there's a name for that. Um, well, anyway, there's some name for those little those little tricks that they put in there, but it's not that it, it's trivial for the for the server to put anything in your data stream, and you will see that as part of your reality. Now, it can create a character that you interact with. That's an NPC, and you can interact with it. And to you, it's just as physical as it can be. And if you happen to, you know. If it happened to get hit with something, it would bleed, it would, you know, just like you do. So it's, it's physical, just like you, because that's what you are. Your avatar, your avatar, when I say that's what you are, that's what your avatar is. Your avatar doesn't really have anything inside. You don't have a brain inside your head. Why would the model try to compute internal parts? The model only computes what shows, just like in World of Warcraft. We, it, you know, there, there's no heart pumping blood through that barbarian or that elf, you know, in that game that you're playing. You just get the data that shows you what you can see. In other words, what you can measure. That's, that's the way virtual realities work. Your brain doesn't store any information, doesn't, uh, doesn't think or create anything. You don't have a brain. You are the, are the awareness. It is your mind that makes all the choices. You, it's in consciousness where all the data is stored. You see, so this, this thing we see, this physical reality, is just our interpretation of the data that we received. So it's trivial for a spaceship to come down and land, and little green guys come out and shake your hand, and play a little tune, and get back and fly away. <laughs> it's easy for that. It's easy to have that happen. The system just puts it in there. So now why would the system put stuff in there like that? Yeah, that's well, the big question, right? Well, I mean, like, why, why would it, it do that? It's, why does it do that? Well, the system wants us to grow up. It wants us to see that there's a bigger picture, that we are not just limited 
to this physical reality, as the scientist would tell you. The scientist will tell you it's just this physical reality, and that's it. There isn't anything else. And that's not right. And we will never get to the point where we are, you know, cooperative, caring, <laughs> sharing, uh, you know, that sort of thing, if that's the way we see it. You know, it's we have to we have to have a bigger picture than that. So the system and it's aiding us to lower our entropy and it has an incentive to help us lower our entropy because we're part of the system. So as we lower our individual entropy, the entropy of the system goes down just the same. So we are part of its strategy for lowering its own system energy. So as we lower our entropy, the whole system grows up a little bit, gets better. So it wants us to succeed and it has to bump us out of that rut of there's nothing exists except the physical because that's a trap. When you have that belief, then all of the things that you need to understand to become love no longer has much support to it. It's, you know, we're just here, grab what you can, you know, take whatever advantages that you can. All right, you should be ethical. Don't just go up and shoot people and take their stuff. But hey, if you can outsmart them or out trick them or something else, then more power to you. That's the way it is. And if you can join groups of people who now make you more powerful, because as a group, you can have more power than you can fight with other groups and try to take their stuff or trick them or manipulate them or get their resources or use them as manpower or whatever, whatever you see. So we'll always have this warlord mentality as long as we have this sense that there's nothing happening here but the physical. Once you understand that you're a piece of consciousness in a virtual reality and that your purpose here is to become love, to learn how to care, to learn how to cooperate. And I don't mean your behavior. It's not about behavior. It's about who you are. You can act kind all day every day, and that won't necessarily be the same as being kind. One is who you are really, the other is your image, what you're trying to project. So we're talking about who you are, not your behavior. So it's not just about a bunch of people being nice to each other, that's, that's civilizing, but that doesn't help lower the entropy. Lowering an entropy, entropy requires you to be nice, to be kind, to be caring, to be cooperative, not just act that way. That means you have to change who you are. You have to change yourself at the being level. That's not necessarily an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of work to do that. So fortunately, we get to work at an iterative process. We work in this lifetime, and then we have other lifetimes that we keep working and working on the same thing, trying to learn how to be love. So that's really what's going on. Now, if we don't succeed, then the system doesn't have its entropy lowered, you know, by, you know, we're not helping, we're not helping the whole, we're not doing our part. So the system wants to wake us up. So if it helps wake somebody up to a bigger reality by putting a spaceship in their reality or a, or a sack watch or whatever else, then it'll, it can do that. But now does it do it to everybody? No. Well, who sees these kinds of things? It's people who are what we'll call uh, searchers. 
people who are looking for meaning. Is there something bigger in our reality? Is there something besides just what physics tells us, you know, it's all just mass and matter? Are there, you know, what are the mysteries here? And are those mysteries real paradoxes? Or are they just things that we don't understand and, and will never understand? So these people are seekers and they go on the internet and they start internet, you know, searching for things like uh, out of body and, and uh, paranormal and, you know, remote viewing because they want to understand these. And that helps them see bigger pictures. It helps them get a bigger sense of the reality. And that's an important first step to growing up, to lowering their entropy, to raising the quality of your consciousness. So yes, it, it does that. So the people out there who are searchers, who have a bit of an open mind, who are skeptical, but still have an open mind, that's the key, you need both. You need to be very skeptical, be skeptical of everything, believe absolutely nothing. And the person you're most skeptical of is yourself because you can lead yourself astray more easily than anybody else can lead you astray. So be skeptical of everything, but also be open-minded of everything. And if you're that, then you'll eventually find the truth. But uh, if you're close-minded, there's nothing here but the physical, period. Everything else is stupid and, you know, it's just goofy people uh, with their, with their uh, uh, what, their fears and their mind running away with them then you'll never learn anything. Those people who are very close-minded don't get those kinds of things in their data streams. They'll never see a Sasquatch or, or a, a, you know, a UFO or any of the rest of it until they're ready, until their mind is open enough that they can learn from it and grow from it, then the system will help them see that. Not only that, but it'll help them pass it along to other people, get other people to open their minds. So you get somebody and he has a, he has a, uh, well, what is it? Uh, an NDE, a near death experience. And he goes out and he sees a white light and he, he, you know, he merges with it and he feels like he's everything and he's love and he feels love and yada, yada, yada. Well, okay. He comes back and he writes a book and now another million people wonder, gee, what is that all about? What was he experiencing? Was that just a one-off in his mind or, and then they look around and they see that, oh, there's been, you know, a couple of thousand people who have seen the same, you know, similar kind of things when they were in near-death experiences. Hmm, I wonder why that is. If it's just a one-off, are they all just copying each other? Well, no, because some of them, you know, live in places where that kind of stuff's never been written in that language before. So, so that starts to open people's minds. So that's where it comes from. Yes, there is something beyond this physical reality. And we call that the paranormal. Para means it's outside of our normal, which means the material reality. So there's materialism and everything that falls outside of the materialism, you know, a paradigm is paranormal. Well, most of what makes life interesting cannot be described by that materialist paradigm. I mean, what's important in your life? Is it the stuff, you know, all the, the mass, you know, the table, the floor, you know, your car, your house? Well, those things are important, but that's not what's most important about your life. 
What's important in your life is the love, the relationships, the caring, the connection, you know, justice, fairness, you know, ethics, morality. Those things are important. None of those exist really in a materialistic paradigm. There's just stuff. That's it. And you're just stuff too. And your body's stuff and your, um, and your uh, consciousness is an illusion. And time is an illusion. That's what the materialists will tell you. And they will tell you that if they're, if they're logically consistent, they'll tell you that because if you're a materialist, you have to also be a determinist. Those two have to go together. You can't be a, a, a materialist and not be a determinist or you're logically inconsistent. So if you're a determinist, then there can be no choice, no free will, which means there's no awareness. If there's no free will, then there's no choice at all. You either have free will or you don't have any choice. It's all already programmed. And then there can't be time because there's no choice. If there's choice, there has to be time. So materialist has to tell you if he's logically consistent that there is no consciousness and there is, you know, because there's no free will and, and there's, there's no time. Well, that kind of leaves you in a, in a, in a goofy spot because all of us know that there's time, there's yesterday and there's tomorrow. And we all know that there's consciousness because everybody listening to this consciously picked the channel and consciously decided to sit down and put their headset on and, and watch this and listen to this. So we do make choices. So to say we don't is kind of goofy and counter, you know, counter to what we experience every day. So anyhow, there's a lot beyond the materialist, you know, what the, what the, what the materialist realm says exists a lot of stuff. And it turns out it's the stuff that's most important to us. You know, we're the players on the stage. The stuff is just a set. So what's more important, the players and what the players do and how they interact or the set? Nobody goes to the theater and just watches the set. And then, you know, after a half an hour watching the set, get up and leave. You know, nobody really gives a damn about the set other than the fact that it's good enough to help you imagine the story. You know, the set's important for that. It's not the set isn't important, but it's not the main thing. The main thing are the players and what the players think and feel and how they interact. That's the story. Well, it's the same with our life. The story of our life is how we feel and think and, you know, what we, what we do and say. And those kinds of things. It's not the stuff. So materialism is a very shallow concept, and it doesn't allow for much that's important. But most people will tell you that they're materialists and they agree with the scientists and everything's just material. They will say that because that is a cultural belief in our culture. That's just what we get from the culture. Nobody has to tell us that. We just absorb it because we're part of this, this culture. So you says, well, what about all this paranormal stuff? Well, yes, of course. If you're not a materialist, then there's all the rest of reality besides just this objective virtual, you know, what we call the objective uh, reality, which is really just a virtual reality. There's really nothing that's physical. There is no matter. There is no spoon. None of that exists. It all exists as a subset of consciousness. 
So all of that stuff that matters most, yes, of course it's there. Yes, you can see it. It's trivial for the system to put that in your data stream if it'll help wake you up and show you that there's a bigger picture that's bigger than what the material world can, can show you. So that's, that's what's going. That's what's that's, going that's on. That's fascinating. Thank you for answering that. that I like that. And I, one, one thing, I, one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, that, but I, I had Cheryl Bailey on my show from Front Row Seat. Uh, you know, she's the one who set up this interview, and uh, she told me about how she came to one of your immersion events, and she said she put on a pair of headphones and she was listening to something like that was similar to a, a binaural beat, and she mm -hmm. experienced a different virtual reality. And when I heard that, I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Like, because that reminded me of the the Hemisync binaural beats that, mm -hmm. that Robert Monroe used. I was wondering. I have a, a lot of questions about that. I was wondering how did you get yours to a point where you're able to get people to experience these other virtual realities? Is it is yours like a binaural beat? Do you tweak it? Is it did you tweak it so it's kind of better than the hemisync? Um, uh, so there's so many questions. Um, and then is it is it very effective? How can people access it? Sorry, that's a lot. Okay, like, that's a I lot. But sure, <laughs> sure, I can talk to that. And actually, I've done some some research on that, and I can tell you very very accurately what say the differences are between my binaural beats and the and the hemisync. I did some. Uh, some courses at Monroe Institute. Uh, I, I didn't do them for the Monroe Institute. It was my course, but I used their venue. Okay. Yeah. And they have people like that. They come in and, and they give a course at the Monroe Institute. So I used about 50% of my own binaural beats and about 50% of the sounds on uh, the Monroe tapes. Right now, I didn't use any of the voice on the Monroe tapes, just binaural, just the background sounds. So they, uh, you know, what they call free flow sounds. You know, it's the same sound that's on their, that's on all their their tapes. It's just no voice. There's no voiceover. So nobody's saying next go to state fifteen. You know, there's nobody yeah. doing that. But the same the same backgrounds in there. Same binaural beats are playing and sounds and whatever else they have. Their, their hemisync is still in the background. So when I did that, and on my sheet of paper, I was curious about the very question you answered. I asked the people after the end of taking the week-long course, I said, did you prefer my, you know, my background sounds, my binaural beats, the TMI binaural beats, or did you think they were about the same? And I got about 85 percent to 95 percent somewhere in there depending on the group because I did this like three or four or five I think maybe four times I did things at Monroe so I did this on all of them and I'd say about 90 per let's just average 90 90 percent of the time they preferred my binaural beats uh, some of the time they preferred the TMI beats and about I don't know a few maybe 5% or so said it didn't matter. Both were about the same. Now the people that preferred the TMI binaural beats were basically TMI people because we had, we had about 50-50 TMI people and MBT people, MBT, my big toe people and TMI, the Monroe Institute people um, because TMI advertised it to their people and we advertised it to our people. So we got some from each group. So those who had, who had uh, spent years listening to the TMI 
tapes, we're very accustomed to them, very, you know, very um, used to them. And those were some of the people who preferred them because they'd listened to them, you know, for many, many hours. So they already had developed a response to those tapes that was very valuable for them. So that's pretty much what happened. The people that were uh, uh, in my, that came out of my group, mostly preferred mine, but there was still a large percentage of those that came out of TMI that preferred mine. So I'd say that just that as data, then I'd say that in general, of all the people that took the course, uh, that uh, most of them thought my, my binaural beats were a little more effective. Now, my binaural, my binaural beats don't have any, any words in them. I don't, lead, I don't lead the witness and I don't tell anybody what to expect, you know, to experience. I let that up solely to the individual. So mine is not a, a, you know, I don't lead them to, you know, state, what is it called, um, 15, where the, the state of no time, I think that's what that one is. You know, I don't, I don't tell them to expect anything in particular. But mine are much more, are, are very complex binaural beats. Um, they have, the beat changes the, the bass frequency changes throughout, and the beat frequency uh, changes throughout too. It runs up and down from theta is its basic state, like four hertz, just like just like uh, in Monroe. But it also runs a really short thirty second trip up into alpha to keep a person awake who tends to drip off. It drops down into delta for short periods of time, for a minute or sometimes two minutes. Pops back up to theta, and it's got a pattern like that. So they're pretty active. And I did them. I made them from a site called, uh, I'll, I'll pronounce it gnarl, although it's just meant to be said gnarl, but it's got a G in front. So, you know, since the people aren't seeing it written, they're listening to me, I'll, I'll say gnarl so that you, you don't miss the G up front. Um, gnarl, like as in aural, aural means sound, you know, so uh, um, it's just gnarl dot com you go there and you can make binaural beats it's free there's no no cost and you can make them so what i did is i give a lot of i gave a lot of courses teaching people to remote view uh, telepathy out of body uh, healing communicating to others you know in the physical non-physical mind to mind so when i taught people that I would, I would change each after each course, I would get feedback from them, how they perceived each one, each one of my binaural beats, I have something like 13 binaural beats that I, I give them. And uh, I asked them how they perceived each one and, and why and so on. So I learned from them got feedback. And then I tweak them a little bit, make them a little better. And I did that. And after about the fifth or sixth iteration, of tweaking them, I left them alone because they seemed to be optimized pretty much the way they were. So I, I didn't tweak them anymore. Now, how do you get them? Um, if you go to a, a website, that's MBT events, MBT for my big toe, then events, they are the people, it's Donna and Keith. They are the people that uh, 
I don't know what can I say. They come up with the venues. They they organize all the talks that I do. They organize all my events. They are uh, uh, my organization people because I'm not an organization kind of guy. If that was left up to me, I wouldn't do it very well. But uh, Don and Keith are very good at that. And at their site, all of the things that are for sale, MBT, you can find them there. You can also find them at my website, which is www.my-big-toe.com. You can get to them there, but you can go to either place and you will find binaural beats and they don't cost much. They're around $25 or something like that. Maybe they've gone up to 30, but you get all 13 binaural beats. Each one lasts about 50 minutes. And uh, it has a little uh, two minute thing in the front of each one that tells you the, the basic key things you need to remember to be successful. And then about 50 minutes worth of binaural beat and then at the end, I come on and say, you know, session's over, and and I start uh, I start the uh, the binaural beat running up from th from theta up to something that wakes them up. So they, yeah, I think something twenty five thirty bucks for, I think it's thirteen, and one of them, I guess it must be fourteen because I, I have thirteen regular session tapes. And I put a 14 in just for people if they wanted to, to use on their own, which is a sleep tape. If you have trouble going to sleep, it's, a, it's one that you can just listen to and it just puts you out. So that's a, that's a freebie that goes in with it. That's so they're not real expensive. So it's not real expensive. Now you have to listen to these with stereo and I get some, I use some pretty low sounds on them. I have, a, I have several that uh, use 32 Hertz as bass frequency and 32 Hertz is a difficult frequency for a lot of stereo equipment to reproduce. That's, you know, you hear the 60 cycle hum right on your speakers and that's a, you know, 60 cycle. But if you go down to half of that to the 32, then that's a rumble and headsets and stereo players may or may not reproduce that very well. So I'd tell all the people when they get to the one that has 32 bass frequency, you have to turn your volume up because it's probably gonna be about a 10th as much volume as the other frequencies, unless you have really good equipment. Now, if you're working out of a $2,000 uh, stereo, you won't have any trouble at all because it'll, it'll reproduce 32 Hertz. But if you're on a $25, you know, MP3 player, it might not. In that case, you'll have to turn the volume up or you'll have to get a better player or you, or sometimes the headsets won't reproduce it. So that's one thing about mine that you have to be a little careful of, but that's only on, of the 13, that's only maybe two or three of them has 32 in it. And that's just for a, a period of them, not, not the whole thing. So anyway, yeah, you can get those now also all those programs I did that helped me uh, perfect those beats, they were all taken by Don and Keith. And there was, I don't know, 30, 40 of them. And they, they went through all of them and combined them as kind of the best of, you know, had all my best explanations and all the best questions that were asked and, and the best answers that I gave. So they did that. 
And now they, they produced an audio program that they sell on Soundwise uh, called Exploring the Larger you know, Consciousness System. And that doesn't cost much either. And you get a whole, I think, four or five day program where it's the whole program that I gave you know, to people. But when they came at a venue and did it, it was, you know, $2,000, something like that, because there was room, you know, there was rooms, there were meals, all of that was, you know, part of the package. So this is like a hundred bucks. It's not much. Like for a hundred bucks, you get that whole program. And the only difference, the only thing that you don't get is you don't get to ask your own questions because obviously it's just, a canned thing. But most of your questions are going to be asked by other people. Questions tend to be pretty similar. So there's a good chance that uh, somebody else will ask a question similar to yours. And there are ways for you to then go ask your own question. I do a lot of Q&As on, uh, you know, a lot of Q&A events. So anyhow, uh, so if you have people in your listening group that uh, want to understand how these paranormal things work and why they work that way and what it is you need to do and what it is you need to not do and what causes problems and and what helps to really understand it it's not just technique to do it but understanding what it is and uh, the, the mechanics of it as well as practice doing it as well as get you get the binaural beats with that by the way so when you get that set, the binaural beats come with it. So for the hundred dollars, you can you can uh, get the the week's course and all the binaural beats. I don't try to. Yeah, my my thing isn't to make a lot of money. My thing is to help a lot of people. You know, have these experiences open their minds, see bigger pictures. So this, this stuff is priced very reasonably. The real events are expensive because the venue is expensive and the food's expensive, and pretty soon the price runs up pretty high. So anyway, that's, that's available. And then I have one other thing that you that you might be interested in. And that is, you know, the standard way to approach the paranormal is through meditation. And that's because one of the key things is, you have to discipline your thinking, you have to discipline your mind, you want your mind to be in a state that you want to put it in not just wandering around all over the place like it normally does. Normally, our thoughts just roam in and out of our mind. And that's why most people have trouble with meditation, because they're supposed to have a blank mind and no thoughts. And they can do that for about a minute or two. And then thoughts come in and thoughts come in and their mind goes here and there. So discipline's required. And that's why meditation is the is the kind of the gateway for all of these things. But I had a whole bunch of people who were very, very left brain people, very intellectual, and they had a hard time letting go of their intellect and being kind of alone with themselves in an intuitive state, not an intellectual state. Okay. And they weren't very able to do that. They had a hard time with that. Their intellect would always come in and start asking a question or get in the way. All the paranormal stuff happens in the intuitive world. None of it happens in an intellectual world. In the intellectual world, if your mind is, if your intellect's working, you're not going to experience anything paranormal. You have to let the intellect go 
and get into an intuitive mindset, intuitive space. And meditation is the way that people, that's the doorway typically for people to do that. Because that's what you're doing when you're sitting there with no thoughts is you shut your intellect down. That's why you're no thoughts. And that leaves your intuition. Well, I've, I came up with another way that uh, gets you there the same and you don't have to be able to meditate at all. It's just another process that bypasses this, uh, this problem with the left brainers not being able to let go of their intellect. And that is using your imagination to get into that intuitive space. And it's just another, it's just another doorway besides meditation. And it works really, really well. So I published a thing called Tom's Park. And it basically takes your imagination and you, you practice imagining things to the point that you can get into a, into a story and Tom's Park has lots of stories going in it. So you can, you can get into a personal story of yours and before long, the story just takes on a life of its own. You know, it's not you making up, you know, oh, then she said this, then I said that. You're not making it all up. It just happens. And that is something that, that can slide from one to another. You can be making up, you know, all of it, uh, you know, 10%, 50%, 35%, and the rest can just be happening on its own. So you kind of let that go. And with practice, everybody can get their imagination to the point that they can start off with a story and, you know, very quickly, the story just takes off on its own. Things just happen without you having to purposefully make those things happen. You let them happen instead. Well, that just is another way to get into an intuitive space is by letting things happen, get your intellect out of the way. So for those people who are uh, have trouble with their intellect always getting in the way, Tom's Park has been a big uh, uh, success. Now it's not, it's a very small book. It's not very big. I think there's only like 80 pages in it. But it's, well, that's not true. I don't know how many pages in it, but it's a small for a book. But it's not really a book. It's not, there's no story in it. There's no plot, you know, that it's, it's really a, a course. It's really a course on getting into experiencing the paranormal, being able to operate with paranormal things, and how to do that without having to go through the discipline of meditation. So that's. I, I was yeah. going to say, does this does this does this ring true with psi ability too, like psychic ability? Like, do you feel like we all? And this is the last question I have, by the way. Like, do you feel like we all have a like psychic abilities? I feel like we do, but it seems like some people have more than others. Like, some people can do telekinesis, psychokinesis, ESP, while other people are just highly intuitive. Um, or, or some people can remote view, some people might have trouble remote viewing. Is it all in the our mind space and where we need to be in our in our psyche, if that makes any sense? Or yeah, yes, absolutely. Everybody can do it. You know, but I could also say everybody can play a piano. Everybody can play a violin. But there's not that many people that play them really, really well. You know, it's the same thing. There's lots of people, you know, who uh can play an instrument, but there's only a few people who can play it to the point that uh, they can make a really good living at it. 
You know, there's only a few of those who play instruments that uh, play them really, really superbly. So it's the same thing. Anybody can do this, but there's only a few people who do it really, really well. Well, why? It takes practice, particularly if you're going through the, the uh, um, you know, quiet the mind, discipline the mind, you know, you're going through that, that process, then it takes 10 years to learn how to get your mind to put it in, a, in an altered state exactly the way you want it. You know, it takes time to, to develop that kind of, of uh, discipline in your mind. So people play with it a bit, and they get a little success here and a little success there, and eventually they move on and, and you know, let it go because it seems to be a lot of work and they're not making much progress. But that's because they don't really understand what they're doing, why, you know, what their problems are, how it works. They don't really understand it. They're just kind of doing things that they've been told to do, and then they see what happens. Once you really understand it, it makes the process a whole lot more efficient. And yes, anybody can learn to do it. And some of the, some of the things that people most interested in doing are the easiest, like healing. Using your mind to heal somebody is one of the easiest things you can do that's paranormal. I would say anybody, pretty much anybody out there in three months time, three or four months time could become effective at healing. Now, I don't mean they can heal everybody. You can never heal everybody. Some people aren't supposed to be healed. Some people, you know, you should not heal. Uh, some people will resist more than others. But you will have some success, enough, enough success. Same with remote viewing. Anybody can learn to remote view. It just takes some practice. And it takes, you have to put some time. You have to do it seriously. If it's a game you're playing because it's fun or you're interested, then you're never going to get very good at it. But if you are serious about it, then, you know, three months, six months, you can have, you know, you can be effective. Not that hard. So, um, yes, something we can all do. Like I say, it all takes place on the intuitive side. As soon as your intellect jumps into the process, that kills it. It's done. You're over. The bubble pops and you're over, you might as well go back to you know, square one, start over. And people who are left brain, they live in a world of logical process all the time. That's their jobs. It's the way they live, the way they think. They have a particularly hard time letting go of that intellect. That intellect wants to come in and, and analyze and judge everything all the time. It just jumps in there and does that. And in our world of the, our objective world where we work, that's a good trait. We want that intellect to jump in and, and, you know, tell us, is this worthwhile? Is this not? What's going on? Why is it happening? We want all analysis and judgment. We need it. But in the intuitive realm, that's deadly. In the intuitive realm, you just open up and things happen. Things come to you. Information becomes available. And as soon as you start to intellectually judge it, it shuts down. And for some people, that's very hard for them to stop that intellect from butting in. That's one of the biggest barriers for people to get over. But that goes away with practice. You know, you just have to practice it. Tom's Park is a solution to help you get through it. And uh, otherwise, you just have to... Uh, 
work at letting that intellect sit down and be quiet and not butt in and, and judge and analyze, assess everything as it happens. So that's, you know, again, once you understand how it works and it's much easier to get rid of the problems because it, you know, in those courses, I define exactly what the problems are and what it is you have to do to get through them. So yes, it's available to everyone. It's not a special thing. Your consciousness, you're not a body, you're a piece of consciousness. Getting around inside the larger conscious system is, is native to you. It's what you do. You know, you have to learn to be logical. You have to learn to have your intellect. You don't have to learn anything to be, uh, you know, intuitive. You know, one-year-old babies are intuitive. Two-year-old, you know, just children know a whole lot more than what we give them credit for. They can't express it. They can't express it in language, but they know what's going on, you know. That kind of intuitive world is is uh, is is just yours as being consciousness. You don't have to. You do have to practice it to get good at it. But that practicing is mainly practicing how to get your intellect to, to butt out. That's uh, what the practice is. And then you have to you have to uh, always get evidence. You don't want to. You don't want to lead yourself down some rosy path of, oh, yeah, I'm getting great stuff and all this stuff is nonsense because you can get nonsense as well. So you need to do it needs to be evidential. You need to work with things. That's why remote viewing is so good. It gives you evidence that you get the did you get it right or didn't you get it right? That's important. So if you you need to, to you know, if you do healing, you need to do a lot of it because you may have worked on somebody with a really bad headache and their headache just went away. Well, maybe the headache just would have gone away anyway. You know, that doesn't mean you did it. So you have to do it over and over and over again. And, and as you do a lot of it, then you can get a general feel for it. If every time you see that person and they have a headache, and their headache goes away right away then you can think, well, I probably am doing something because why would it just naturally just happen to go away on its own, you know, when I show up. So it takes a lot more practice with your healing and with some of other things, but you can do communication. You can talk, you know, use telepathy. You can talk to people and you can uh, do all sorts of things. And these binaural beats I'm talking about will put you in that theta state that you need to be in without you having to be a good meditator. You don't need the discipline. It will put you there and hold you there. But the downside of that is eventually you need to let take the headphones off and let that go. It will put you in a theta state and hold you there. But that's kind of a, a crude tool. You know, it's like a bicycle. You put on the you put on the training wheels on a bicycle so the child won't fall over and hurt themselves and become afraid to ride the bike. But eventually, you gotta, if you're really going to be a good bike rider, you got to take the training wheels off because it keeps you from going around corners and bends because those little wheels don't let you lean far enough. So it's the same with this. Eventually, you need to take the headphones off because though they will help you as a beginner, they will hold you back once you're, once you're much better at it.
that's fascinating. I mean, I, I think that's all I have for today, but um, that, that answered all my questions. Um, I'm going to get those binaural beats. And I think a lot of my audience will too, because I think a lot of people are trying to have these experiences. So thank you. And um, can you tell everybody where to find your website again? And uh, I'll put links in the description um, okay. and anything else you want to promote. Thank you so much. Yeah. Tom. Well, okay. Uh, my website is www.com my hyphen big hyphen toe t-o-e dot com okay and from there you can look at all the videos i have i've got probably a thousand videos many of them are fairly long because every time i went out and taught a course i'd take videos and then i come back and i put the videos out for free so that anybody could take the course if they didn't happen to have money to take it they can take it later. So there's literally thousands of hours of Tom Campbell talking on on video for all these courses that I've done, all the Q&A that I've done. It's there. So if you want to really understand the nature of reality, you know, why your life is full of struggle, why you're not happy, uh, you know, why you can't get out of body, all these, you know, whatever it is, then you can find out. Now, on my website, I write, right now, I have a search engine that was created uh, just for that site that you can put in a subject and it'll search through those thousands of hours of video and tell you, oh, go to this video at exactly 37.5 minutes and that'll be what you want for the subject that you're looking for. So that makes it a little less daunting to have that much material uh there is that you can search it with the search engine and in about a month i'm going to have a chatbot that is going to have learned all of my material you know read my books uh, looked at all my videos and will be able to uh have a conversation with you about mbt and about what it means and you know what's what it says and hopefully it will tell you things pretty much what i would tell you if you were talking to me but like all chatbots, you got to beware. You got to think for yourself because sometimes they'll say something goofy because they're not, they're not conscious. They're just clever. And uh, sometimes they, uh, they can say some pretty wrong things. So you have to always think for yourself, but that's coming out too. So that's better than a search engine rather than searching and reading and reading and searching and reading. You have a conversation. Well, that wasn't quite right, chatbot. Uh, I, I want more about something like this and, you know, it'll go out and try to find, find that, but it'll have all the information in its little computer head. So that's coming. And like I say, if you're really interested in having paranormal experiences, you know, for the hundred bucks or whatever, it's, it's really get the course because you can take it. It's an audio course and you can take it over as much time as you want. You don't need to take it for the week. You can take it over months. Uh, just, Take it at your own time, at your own speed, and then take it again and take it again. Um, every time you take it, you'll learn a little more, get a little better at it. So, and so you follow the exercises, you'll have the binaural beats. And when I say, all right, everybody go, go to your rooms and, you know, put on such and such a tape, you can go to your room and put on such and such a tape. So you can really take part in the, in the course. So those would be for for your audience if that's what they're interested in. They should find a gold mine there of of information 
and for those that are really struggling with the out of body and getting their intellect to to get out of the way then the tom's park is a good uh, is a good choice to do that or if they're just looking for uh more of a interactive experience rather than a rather than a uh kind of a personal experience if they want an interactive experience you'll find that in tom's park so those are the those are the things that's the information that's that's out there uh, and uh, i give talks and things from time to time places i just came back from a two or three days in uh, in england in the uk been around the world uh, been to germany six seven eight times and europe you know france and various places i i get around a lot down to south america so events are going on from time to time and you can find those over at mbt events along with all the products you'll find over there that's and awesome. on my site that, that's, that's awesome uh, th this has been amazing this was an amazing talk i'm gonna i'm gonna post it today and uh, i'll send you a link when i when i when i post it okay yeah send me a link and uh, i'll post it on my site too so i've got about i don't know 75,000 people so they'll they'll see you and uh and and you know the name of your podcast and that'll that'll give you some some extra visibility as well robert oh thank you i appreciate that that's awesome and uh and and it was a pleasure meeting you and having you on i it really was an honor i really was i i uh i really like your theory and and it's a uh, it's amazing stuff i'm just uh it's, it's, I like it. I really do. It's, uh, it's, it, it really makes me think, you know what I mean? Like outside the box, like that, if we're really in a virtual reality, like, wow, that would be like, it's like, it's, 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 I think that's really what we're in. I really, I really yes. do. Like, I really yeah. think that that's what we're, what we're well, living in. I think this is the simulated reality. I yeah. really think you're right. Like, well, you um, know, that's not a belief of mine that is the conclusion i come to based on you know the facts i couldn't be able i wouldn't be able to solve all those physics problems you know if the theory wasn't fundamentally right and it not only solves physics problems but it, it solves the uh paradoxes and in, in whole you know in, in 20 different you know academic subject lines you know it solves problems in biology it solves problems in in uh, uh, what is it? Um, I don't know. You know, ontology about being. It solves problems in epistemology about truth. It solves problems in where do we come from? You know, in cosmology. It solves problems in philosophy. Finally, the uh, argument between um, realists and idealists. You know, can can be settled. So it just solves things all over the place and it doesn't create any new problems. It doesn't create, you know, it's, it doesn't have any strange assumptions. It's only got two assumptions and that's that consciousness exists. And uh, that's actually the only assumption that, that it needs. And I also throw in that uh, evolution exists, but uh, that's it. So you just take that and after that, it's just logic. And the logic ends up, if you want to, describe what you see you know what's here in the world in other words if you want to be able to describe the results of experiments you know real people doing real things then this just does that it describes them 
better than anything else describes them. So I don't tell people to believe it. Don't believe what I say. Go find out for yourself. If it's not your experience, it can't be your truth. Believe in somebody else's truth is not helpful. It's got to be your own. That's why I made these courses about the, for people to experience the paranormal. Because I tell them, you know, don't believe it because I say it. You got to be skeptical, skeptical of everything, including me. Be skeptical. So go experience it. It's not that hard. And once you experience it, then one experience will lead to another. And pretty soon you will know exactly what I'm talking about because you will have been there and done that. So that's the, that's the key is uh, you can't get this out of a book. You have to do it. And you can't get it actually by doing. You have to do it by being. You have to change who you are. It's not a, it's not a prescription. Well, if I do this, this, and this, then pop, that will happen. That paranormal thing will happen. Paranormal doesn't work that way. That's an intellectual world works that way. The paranormal world, the intuitive world doesn't work that way. It's not what you do that matters. It's how you are. It's the state of mind you can create. It's the attitude that you have. It's what you are that matters. Not the, not the technique you use. The technique is pretty much irrelevant. That's, and everybody can do it. We're all pieces of consciousness. So it's just, it's just, it's, once you understand this concept of virtual reality that I, that I have, where, where virtual reality, you know, consciousness is the computer and we're subsets in a virtual reality created by consciousness. Once you understand that, all the problems that you experience just become easy. You can understand them very, very simply. All the physics, all the, you know, all the science, even all the personal stuff, you know, the aggravation and having trouble finding happiness and trouble with relationships all of that just falls out as being logically obvious what the problem is so well, that's, really that's well that said. and thank you tom this was awesome okay well send it when you send it to me send it also a copy to uh, don and keith at mbt events because she donna puts up all my stuff on youtube i don't I don't do that. She does. She handles my YouTube channel. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll send it. I'll send it. Uh, I'm going to upload it right now. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Have a good night. Thank you, Robert. You too. Bye.